Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, let's ride the Carnival of Souls at Action Point. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will pick them between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and to all who come to this happy place, welcome. And I am Adam Thomas, and I, uh, I did a cool show on MTV and a lot of good movies. I should not be a legitimate actor. <laughs> Your illustrious career of getting kicked in the nuts. Oh, not even the main guy. There's another guy, but <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to all that. So uh, welcome, everybody, to the Double Edge Double Bill, where if you're new, um, every week Adam and I talk about a double feature that we selected at the end of the previous episode, um, and uh, we do it around a certain topic, and we decided this time, uh, because Jurassic World Dominion's coming out, which um, we're not necessarily excited for that film. I zero fucks. Yeah. Zero. Right. Like below zero. What is below zero? Um, is it in Fahrenheit or Celsius in terms of fights? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. What continent? What continent are we on? That's true. Uh, but, you know, we decided um, we wanted to tie something at least into that particular release. And we're like, even though the Jurassic Park series has gone far off the park element of it, obviously given the title change that happened. Sure, sure. Uh, we decided, you know, as a fun experiment to do amusement park films, which this could be either uh, films based on amusement park attractions or that primarily feature amusement parks as a concept, uh, which, you know, there's there's a palpable idea for that in film, especially for me, as someone who I grew up in Florida, so I went to a lot of theme parks, especially the Disney what? parks. Uh, You're from Florida? That's never been talked about. That's true. This is a secret, a new reveal. <laughs> this late oh, into the my game. God. <laughs> what a twist and turn. I'm Irish. By the way, <laughs> all these new, <laughs> you have to go to the back <laughs> issues for that. We're, we're yeah, really yeah. <laughs> revealing it here. Um, but uh, no, um, when I was younger, um, I went to the theme parks a lot. And particularly uh, my favorites when I was a kid were Universal Studios. And at the time, it was called a Disney MGM Studios before now it's a Disney Hollywood Studios is the park. And I think looking back on it, that really helped shape sort of my interest in film, particularly on kind of behind the scenes way. Because like sure. at that park, it was always like at that time, particularly like in the early 90s, it was so much more about like the magic of movies and how they're made. And we're on a backlot tour and oh, we're in uh, this set that's going to like explode or whatever. Or when I was especially younger, like the big centerpiece ride at MGM was the great movie ride, which is how I found out about classic movies like Casablanca or Singing in the Rain or um, The Wizard of Oz, stuff like that. So uh, I think that really kicked off my interest in film. Oh, sure. Well, being a Michigander, uh, we don't have really have any main uh, theme parks out here, but Stone's Throw Away in Ohio, there's Cedar Point, which is a big one, which is a great, great theme park. Mm-hmm. And then we also had like King's Island around here, uh, things like that. But I also did take the trek down to Florida when I was a kid. And, you know, I actually lived there for a little while, but not when I was a kid, I was living there drinking uh but anyways uh florida at the time i mean yeah we went to disney world we went to you know epcot magical kingdom all of it and i always loved epcot of course because i still like epcot epcot's awesome the coolest thing i think i've ever seen at an amusement park was the indiana jones stunt spectacular it was fucking awesome it was so cool and that to me i was like oh, they can do this in real life? Like, you know, I was six years old, and I remember going through the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids exhibit that they used to have. Yes. And, like, you could get on the ant and go through the tunnels and all that. I'm like, this is the coolest shit ever. I'm a huge sucker for theme parks. Yeah, and, like, that stuff, they always framed it as, like, oh, this is, like, the actual set, quote-unquote. Like, right next to that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thing was the Roger Rabbit warehouse, 
where you yeah, could like I go underneath that. the right the fucking um the uh, cement mixer and all that other shit. It was all there, and yeah, they they, they really framed it. And even when I was a kid, I always thought like theme parks just as like uh, an aesthetic. I thought it always like interested me with like the idea of big giant sets. Anyway, mm-hmm. like we talked about Dick Tracy on the show, that has the aesthetic right. of a theme park, especially of that like kind of era. A hundred percent. One of my favorite things ever, favorite memory of a amusement park, is having a dance off with April O'Neil. <laughs> Ninja Turtles. I'm like, she's so pretty, but I'm gonna smoke her ass. <laughs> like it was just, it was the coolest thing. It's such a, it's such a cool way for like kids to just have this sense of wonderment and like the imagination that you could put into it. Like when I was a kid at Cedar Point, it was the, they had a whole uh, section dedicated to the Berenstain Bears, and you could go in all their houses, and people would be in the, you know, dressed up in the suits, and I'm like, this is just like the books. I, uh, well, you know, Disney's a huge conglomerate weird thing now, but still awesome. And to me, it was at the time that we were younger. It was just. It kind of always has been. It's just gotten, gotten more powerful. Right. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I had a similar thing with like, the Berenstein Bears thing. When I was a kid, it was Mickey's Toontown. We're just like, oh, fuck, Mickey lives here. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, it's weird. It does feel kind of just like we're, we're like invading his fucking house or whatever. <laughs> Me and Mickey and Goofy are going to play Texas Hold'em. I'm about to take every fucking dollar. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how you were as a child. Exactly. For sure. A, degener- a degenerate gambler. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, Mommy, Mickey's going to break my legs. You're goddamn right. <laughs> You're goddamn right, I am. <laughs> Red Slate, fuck you. Pay me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in my house? <laughs> Jesus Christ, we've already got off the rails. Uh, well, I, appropriate, you know, given, of course, the theme the park. coaster rails. Right, yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, you know, to segue right back into us covering uh, two films, one of them is technically based on a theme park, an actual one, which we'll go into, um, and the other uh, one is shot at a real theme park um, that was, at the time, uh, abandoned and is still kind of like, we'll, we'll talk all about it, but our two features we picked at the end of our last episode were your bad pick of Action Point, um, and then the good pick that I had, which was Carnival of Souls. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into Action Point. That looks fun. Your mom ever tell you it's your old papa home on the greatest amusement parks of all time? Those days were different. There weren't so many rules. Your mom would come for the summer. Well, Even back then, she was the voice of reason. You're the lifeguard. Shouldn't we be facing the water? Ah, let God sort them out. Ah! I suppose you probably heard you got some competition in town. They've got roller coasters and a chairlift that actually works. What this place needs is an excitement enema. We're gonna make this place fast and loose. Every ride, steady go. Every attraction, no rules, no speed limits, just pure fun. That sounds kind of dangerous. Let's see what this baby can do. So Action Point uh, came out June 1st, 2018, uh, from director Tim Kirkby, though this is much more of a vehicle for uh, the star, which is Johnny Knoxville, who um, we have not talked about Mr. Knoxville that much on the show. Why the fuck would we? I mean... Like, the nature of our show, we cover a good and a bad movie, Adam. So we could actually cover yeah. a lot of his films. Like, well, he was in like what was that one movie, The Deuce is Wild, that you made us cover a while ago? Oh, uh, yeah, right. Oh, he what? Oh, you're right. right. It's a blink and you'll miss. It. He's just like there for like a scene, but he's there. But um, I saw that. I saw that movie twice in the theater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back and listen to our. I believe it's a coming of age episode where we covered <laughs> that. <laughs> Very weird movie. Uh, but, yeah, so um, Johnny Knoxville's a star, and with Johnny Knoxville, he's obviously most famous for Jackass, which he co-stars in this movie sure. with Chris Pontius, who's one of the many people on the Jackass crew. <sighs> I think before we get into anything about this particular movie, um, despite our grousing maybe about Mr. Knoxville earlier, um, I think we're both pretty solid fans of Jackass. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. I was so, like, just in love with Jackass that I went back and watched the CKY stuff, Viva La Bam, all that stuff. I, I was just 
I, I soaked it up. Like it was so funny because I'm looking at these guys who are these miscreants and these, you know, sort of off kilter losers for lack of a better term skater guys who are into fucking rap and rock and being idiots and i'm like oh this is me this is my friends even though i never did any of the shit they did but i'm like oh i'd love to hang out with these guys and even to this day like even with the recent release of jackass 4 you're like oh i'd love to hang out with these guys yeah, I think that's the thing, is that Knoxville was the one who kind of tried to branch out and become more of an actor, as we kind of hinted at earlier. Not very successful at it, necessarily. No, um, no. Well, and then I think it's the trouble of like him and Pontius and a lot of those jackass people, whenever they've acted, it's always felt so weird, because like the whole point is that they have these personas that are totally of their own, and they don't feel manufactured. And you love seeing that when like you watch a jackass movie, half the fun is not necessarily the big stunts, which are glorious to see but in just these guys hanging out with each other and laughing about their insanity that they're just displaying. And it's charming in its own very crass, white trash kind of way. Absolutely. Nut shots to them is like the greatest joke in the world. And it's great. It's great. You love seeing them set around and just these giant hands hitting each other or, you know, airbags popping out anywhere and just the genuine glee they have. One of my favorite things ever is it even a jackass four with all because i i mean as we said we love them all but you know when steve was all fucked up and john knox was like oh you're still not gonna lose that million dollar smile when he pulls his tooth out <laughs> it's so funny it's so ridiculously funny or even in like one of my favorite stunts is the um in jackass 3d where uh they have the thing set up in the lunchroom with the giant hand which is i love it amazing love it and like, like where for some reason Aaron believes they want soup <laughs> <laughs> right because because so what's so great is that like it, like they're able to do like quick nut shots which is always fun after like a big stunt everything pauses and then someone does like a quick nut shot that's always great but at the same time sure. the big appeal is like oh how are they when they went from like the tv show to film how extravagant are these fucking bizarre stunts gonna be to the point of like like the weird cartoonishness of a giant hand pushes a dude from the lunchroom and they get covered in soup yeah. <laughs> It's great. It's great. And the the real fun of it is, how are these guys still like? You believe these things? Oh, they want soup, and he goes for it. Like, obviously, you're going to get fucked. Like, seriously. Oh, sit on this piano chair and play. The- Nothing's going to happen to you, though. Nothing's going to happen to you. Like, well, come on. Obviously, like they're just so dumb. <laughs> they're just so, but they're just having a great time, and that's the huge appeal. Like, there's just a bunch of people getting paid to just have fun and fuck with each other it's great right so with action point though which i'm sorry we have to steer back to action point um what knoxville and pontius everyone here tried to kind of do is take the jackass sort of uh stunt stuff and put it into a feature narrative yeah like a scripted version right which they kind of experimented before with like bad grandpa which was the spinoff that had mostly knoxville doing silly stuff and they kind of had the story intertwined which however sloppy that movie is um it at least does it better than action point does well yeah because the point of that which made it funny is most people weren't in on the joke it was just john knoxville and the kid so that kind of worked uh this however um i'm just gonna go ahead and say it get out of the way right now is one of the worst fucking movies i've ever watched yeah, because um, if you're unaware of this movie, which you might probably are because it bombed horribly when it came out in 2018, um, this was a movie that uh, basically involves uh, Knoxville playing a guy named DC Carver, who is this uh, dude who is running um, a theme park in the 80s. Most of this is told in flashback as DC is like an old man talking to his granddaughter in a bunch of scenes that totally don't feel sliced in because oh let's appeal to the bad grandpa crowd <laughs> with our much lesser makeup that wouldn't be nominated for an oscar like bad grandpa <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah let's just take off the mustache and the beard right um and uh so dc is trying to run this park in the 80s called action point that's kind of like the the lesser rand park um in this town and he ends up uh you know getting a lot of these young kids who he's employed to help him out with and also his friend benny who lives with him on the grounds in this former like western attraction and also his dc's daughter who comes over to visit for the summer and uh basically it's a like attempt to be an 80s era like snobs versus slobs thing with them competing with the other park that's a lot more uh you know successful and everything and uh the trouble is that 
it's kind of trying to do this traditional narrative and mix it up with a lot of these big stunt sequences that would appear in a Jackass movie. But because they want to, like, mix that up, when they do the actual stunts, they can be pretty impressive. Like, Knoxville apparently damaged himself more severely than in any Jackass movie doing this right. movie. Uh, but the trouble is when you don't have that Jackass, like, oh, we're doing almost like cinema verite, we're documenting this from different angles, and then, like, Chris Pontius and the other guys will, like, come in and laugh, and it'll be, like, this big, rousing thing. Um, so many of the stunts just end with somebody writhing in pain. And it just feels kind of like a bummer, and it's not funny. <laughs> not, I mean, at all. You know, I think you described it very well. They're really trying to be like the underdog versus the rich guy. Think of like Ski School or movies like that, and and take all of the humor out of it. Because that's the thing about this movie. It's supposed to be comedy. I didn't laugh once. There was there was not one chuckle. Um, it, it's just it feels very sophomoric from people who should be doing better. And it, it does one of the things that I hate the most uh, about films when they know it's bad. It has a constant score. It's either like some song that exists or the really bad score that's written for the movie, whichever. A hundred percent. It's not funny. Nobody's likable. Um, I will say the one who plays the young version of the daughter is probably the best in the movie. And there's some pretty cool little character actors in this. Like you got um, the one who played Ted's daughter and Bill and Ted, the newest one. I, I uh, Bridget Lundy Payne is their name. Oh, right. Yeah. Johnny Pemberton, who's really good. Usually fucking mind blowingly. You got fucking uh, Mike Schultz or whatever Matt, his Matt fucking Schultz. name is. Matt Schultz. It doesn't matter. Nobody <laughs> cares what his name is, but Vince from fast and the furious. Right. Yes. Is in this. Uh, and uh, one one of my favorite sort of like fun uh, stuff shirt types, uh, Dan Bacadal, who plays the Gregory, the guy who runs the villain uh, theme park. Yeah. yeah, a lot of good character actors. The only thing is like, look, Johnny Knoxville is not a good actor. Hot take. But as bad as Johnny Knoxville is, Chris Pontius is so much worse. Yeah, because at least like Knoxville can deliver lines uh, as opposed to Pontius. Yes. That's always this awkwardness because the fun of Pontius on Jackass is he's the super confident brash guy who has absolutely uh-huh. no qualms about doing anything. Showing his wiener. Right. Just pulls his wiener out all the time. Right. Great. The, funny. The, the funniest bits of Pontius really are like in Jackass 2, one of my favorite bits, when he drinks the horse semen and he just flouts uh-huh. his like, I'm ashamed of myself. Like without missing a beat, just as on the show. That's what I can't watch. I can't watch that. I can't watch that bit. It makes me <laughs> gag. But yeah, but that's the thing about Pontius. He's so funny. Like, dude, Party Boy was the shit. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. But in this, where they're just like, oh no, be literally, it's like, oh, just be Pontius from Wild Boys, and he can't do it. Well, it's not even that. I think they're trying to put him into more of like, oh, be the specific, like the Bluto archetype that was in these 80s movies. Where it's like, oh, you're the wild man who does all these wacky stuff. And it's just like Pontius's other like usual approach is more like this boyish, like, oh, I'm being a little stinker energy as yeah. opposed to oh, this <laughs> where he's yeah. trying to be much more like the Bluto where like it's, it's not even like little stinker. It's just like, I'm a wild animal man. And it's just like, I don't. I don't believe it out of him when it's he's being fed lines. It just feels like it's like a kid who's being fed lines like for yeah. um, like some fucking like cameo in a movie. Like, oh, are you the director's little kid? Mikey likes it. <laughs> he feels like the Jacks kid. Right. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's not good. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, and even like with Knoxville, what I love about Knoxville on the show is like he feels less like an actual actor in Jackass and more of like a ringmaster. He's just coming yeah. in. He's introducing you, obviously, like the hi, I'm Johnny Knox, so welcome to Jackass, and all this other stuff. And here, he's trying to be like the underdog, sort of the Bill Murray type, and it just feels like it's it's too much to put onto him to be that, uh, to have any actual kind of like character arc or anything to it. And you can tell, really, like the best bits and pieces of the movie are like in the outtakes where you see him just being Johnny Knoxville. And like laughing yes. at the absurdity of what's happening. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like the 100%. best when the best part of your movie is the outtakes. You know, like it is a severe, <laughs> severe problem. Oh, it's a mess. It's a big mess. Yeah, like him jumping over the crocodile. Hilarious. But in film, like when they're gathering the animals and the porcupine and the squirrels and Pontius shorts stuff, like this is so phony. We've seen these guys do this stuff for real. 
like just be idiots. But in this one, it's so staged and so scripted. It's unenjoyable. The comparison between Tim Kirkby, who had directed like other comedic stuff, mostly television before this, versus a Jeff Tremaine, who directed all those Jackass movies, is uh-huh. Tremaine knows it's not about like, oh, we have to like get a bit of coverage and awkwardly edit everything. He's like, I'm going to have two different cameras and then I'm just going to like let this play out as much as possible without like that many edits to right. it. What we get is what we get. We'll make it work. Right. It's a very, it, it feels very renegade filmmaking to where this, it feels artificial sort of renegade filmmaking. Right. And even like in with Tremaine, like he's able to do like clever things. Like there's, I remember in Jackass 3D, there's the stunt where like they go on the, um, the jet ski and they do it up the ramp so and there's good. the camera on like the steering wheel of the jet ski. Like that's mm. cl- like actual clever, like cool stunt film filming styles as opposed to here. It's like a wide shot and then maybe like a close up. And then the moment you have like the other actress come in and be like, Oh, are you okay? Or oh, are you hurt or whatever? It just, it's like you said, it feels like really phony, which is really a shame that the fact that Knoxville got injured the most on this, because the thing is we've all seen him put his body through so much shit. Those jackass movies and shows. But in this, it's like the biggest example I think of is him going down like the tube slide on the cart. Mm-hmm. You see him going, and then and it's reaction, 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 reaction. And then all of a sudden, hops the thing and, and lands. You don't even stick with it. You don't even get to see, like, oh shit, he's going out of control. You don't even get any of that. You just see him go down the luge and then crash. Right. It's like we have the choppy sort of journey, and then the punchline is mm-hmm. told in like a stagnant shot of just like him mm-hmm. falling. And we once again hold too long him being like, oh, Oh, God. Way like, too long. The appeal would be, like, in a Jankos movie, like, everyone crowds around him, everyone makes sure he's okay, and then they laugh. Like, one mm-hmm. of the best examples of that is in the first Jackass movie with the golf cart, mm-hmm. where, like, that turns Absolutely. over. And you're like, there's tension, and me, you're like, oh, my God, is he going to get out of it? And then he gets out of it, and they're like, oh, man, we can laugh about this now, but I almost fucking died. <laughs> that was a lot, as opposed to just, like, seeing a man writhe on the ground with nobody there to help him until, like... Once again, like, all the actors are cut to, like, them crowding around him. It just feels so much more unpleasant. Right. And it's sad. And that's the thing about the outtakes, where, like, where you see him do the, the luge thing and he lands. And then in the outtakes, you see everybody crowd around him and he gets up and throws a thumbs up and everybody claps and stuff. That should like, let's see that in the movie. So you'd be like, oh, he's okay. No, you would literally linger on him, this man laying in the ground, breathing in the dirt where the dirt is creating a cloud above him because he can't breathe, just moaning in pain. Like, that's not funny. That's not good. I don't want to see that. Yeah, and to what you were we were saying earlier, like, he basically suffered, like, amongst several injuries, four concussions, a broken hand, a damaged meniscus, whiplash, stitches, he lost some of his teeth, and during that alpine slide sequence you're talking about, when he lands, like, shortly after that that night, and he, like, sneezed, and his eye popped out of his socket. Twice. Yep. <laughs> Twice. Yes. That's terrifying. Right. And you can that is t- terrifying. And there are certain shots where he even said, like, the last few days of filming, they couldn't film certain sides of my face, and you can tell. You, you could see it right in the beginning. Actually, right. right in the beginning, when it shows young Johnny, actually, you tell his eye is fucked up. Like, he looks oh, yeah. so bad in this movie. Way worse than he Terrible. has in any Jackass movie. You look at him at Jackass 4 as a silver fox. He's yeah, right? great shape. Like, yes. Oh, my God, he looks amazing. <laughs> and then you see him in this, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. And we should also talk about, in reference also to those actual injuries, uh, this is based on um, a uh, short documentary called The Most uh, Insane Theme Park Ever. That documents the um, the actual park, which was called Action Park, that was in Vernon, New Jersey, uh, that basically throughout the 70s and into the mid-90s was this park that was infamous for having like these incredibly dangerous rides, and um, a lot of people got injured, and even six people ended up dying at the park. Um, Jesus. Right, yeah. Uh, the short documentary I've heard is good. I watched uh, The Class Action Park, which is on HBO Max, the like feature that's the one I watched. Yeah, that's the one I watched. Yeah. Right. And that's that, that documentary is also fascinating because they want to try and mix up the like legend around that town of just like, oh my God, Action Park. It's like a rite of passage. You have to go there and you have to survive Action Park. But then also near the end, they go into like the, oh yeah, and six people died and they interview actual like family members, people who died. And it's really fucked up. So it's even weirder when you get to this movie that's kind of based on it. And making it silly. Right, making this, like like we mentioned, like a sort of Animal House-style snobs versus slobs movie. Just like, yeah, this is going to be fun. Why can't we keep this incredibly dangerous park around? Come on, you're just trying to keep us down, man. This bear likes to drink beer. Right. 
like, oh, this is hilarious. Right, and especially when, like, yeah. there's a the whole thing with the, the villain of the park makes his son go down the alpine slide and get injured purposefully. Feels like in real poor taste considering one of the actual deaths was on the alpine slide with, like, a young man. Who, like, died yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, awful, yeah. awful. But hey, Johnny Knoxville's in it, so it's wacky. Yeah, um, and I, I guess the question is, Adam, um, as a sort of, like, theme park movie... Uh, do you think they do at all a good job with, like, depicting, like, this crazy park as, like, a fun thing? Or, like, what what do you think of, like, that element of it? I think they definitely tried to make it seem like, oh, man, you could just do whatever you want. You could have beers and push, you know, structures over and just really just kind of go for it. At no point watching this movie, I was like, I'd like to go there. I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. This whole thing sounds atrocious. Like, no, th- there's nothing about this movie that is enjoyable. There's nothing about the theme park aspect that is exciting. I just think it's just a piss poor attempt to make a Hollywood style jackass movie. And unfortunately, use a source material that real people were hurt and killed in. Yeah. And like, they legally try and distinguish, but like, no, we're action point. Yeah, no, we're actually, yeah, yeah, no, we're actually point. Yeah, 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 actually point. We're going to go see The Clash just so we can firmly, firmly tell you what time period this is in. Right. Didn't you feel like so bummed out about he forgot about The Clash? I gave zero fucks. (laughs) Yeah. And also the lesson about like the, we mentioned it earlier, but the old man inserts are like, even with this very bad movie, they are the worst parts of it. (laughs) We're, so bad yeah really bad old age makeup and one another stunt where like uh, knoxville in the old age makeup tries to go on like the swing set thing and then he falls over uh-huh. impressive stunt but also we hold so long on knoxville especially as this old man in that scenario Hurt. it's just like yeah this isn't fun this is like old guys like on the ground there's no even like bad grandpa style like everyone crowding around him once again or him getting up just like i'm fine whatever not, not really much of that either not at all, and I hate to say this, but the fake-out ending where he's walking away and uh, fakes a heart attack and falls, and, like, the daughter comes out, stop, yeah. and he's like, I almost got you. I almost wish that it wasn't fake. So, like, wow, that that would have been daring and dark and different. No. No. You just get another jackass stupid thing. Yeah. It was such a bizarre way to end the movie on, like, that particular joke. So bizarre. So bizarre. I hate this movie, man. Yeah, um, it, it's one of, like, definitely, uh, we've talked many times about the worst kind of bad movie to watch is a bad comedy. This definitely fits that bill. And it's, what, an hour, 27 minutes, hour? Well, to be fair, like, like the movie is so barely padded out. With, like, the old man stuff feels like it's definitely trying to pad out. Because, like, the credits hit, like, sure. 66 minutes. So it's even barely, like, oh, an hour. <laughs> and, I mean, this movie feels like it's three hours long. <laughs> Easily. I, I pause it for every fucking excuse i could oh i heard a noise it, it's only me by myself in the apartment i heard noise better go inspect like you know just it's just oh my god oh my god this movie whew. yeah i think we both firmly recommend instead of watching this watch any of the jackass things especially even of jackass 4.5 Recently came out on Netflix. Which I have not watched it. It's very fun. It's very interesting, especially right, considering cool. it's about, like, since the 4.5, there's a bit of more of a documentary aspect to them talking about shooting it during COVID, which is fascinating right. as well. Um, so, yeah, right. I definitely recommend, like, watching that or any of the Jackass things that would be on Paramount Plus uh, instead of this. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, Adam, it's time we get to our good feature here Carnival of Souls. Action you've never seen races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture-making, Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. She is a girl-driven man by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Carnival of Souls is the shocker of all time, guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. 
you can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. So Carnival of Souls uh, came out September 26, 1962, from director Herc Harvey, his first and only feature film. Herc Harvey, before this and after this, uh, was a guy who made industrial and educational films in Kansas. So basically any of those uh, film strips that you either saw in school or more likely you saw somebody parody in like an Uh. 80s movie onward of like the old film strips. Uh, He made those. Like here are some of the titles of some of his uh, film strip uh, films. Uh, Street safety is your problem. Yes. A citizen makes a decision. (laughs) Pork, the meal with a squeal. What? Wait. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. Shake hands with danger. Oh, yeah. And take a letter. Dot, dot, dot. From A to Z. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's totally one of the, it's totally one of the, Little Billy didn't want to go to bed that night, but he didn't want to tell his parents why. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, yeah, so that's what... So good. That was his bread and butter for uh, the Centron Corporation. And uh, while he was working, um, he was traveling around America, and uh, he was passing through Utah... When in Salt Lake City, he ran to the Saltaire Pavilion, which is this actual pavilion that still exists to some degree um, down there in Salt Lake City. That's this, uh, at the end of a pier, it's this giant sort of like um, glorious amusement park location that at that time had been abandoned for quite a few years and had uh, some remnants of a carnival affair, which gave Harvey the idea to make a movie called Carnival of Souls, which is about this woman uh, Mary, who um, is a church organist, who at the beginning of the film uh, survives a horrible car crash that uh, ends up with her car in to, uh, going into the water, and uh, she decides to leave that town and become a church organist in a new city. And uh, when she moves over there, she starts seeing these weird visions of this mysterious man, uh, who is only referred to as the man, in this weird ghoulish makeup. And uh, she starts to unravel, as it were, as uh, this very short film goes along. Another movie, but um, is only about like 75 minutes long. <laughs> it's very short, Carnival of Souls. Oh, super short. Right, and uh, this is a movie that came out in 1962, initially to no real reaction. Obviously, Herc Harvey didn't really have a film career after this and went back to doing educational films, but it gained a real cult following um, as uh, it went to the public domain and uh, playing in like revival houses and especially on television a lot. And uh, it's a fascinating little movie that uh, I pick as my good pick. Uh, but Adam, what about you? What are your opinions on Carnival of Souls? Well, to be fully transparent, the first time, and probably I've seen this movie probably four times, maybe five, but the first couple times I watched it as a Riff Tracks movie. Those guys covered it. And even then, I was like, oh, this is funny because of their banter. But I'm like, this movie's kind of fucking scary. Like, it's spooky. It's it's unnerving. Um, so going back and watching it without the track and everything like that, I, I watch it and I'm like, oh, this is really, really good. Like, the cinematography in this is amazing. The editing is amazing. The score is amazing. I mean, there are so many fucking cool things they do in this movie that are way ahead of their times. Like, the idea of, you know, they're dealing with PTSD and maybe, like, is there psychedelics involved? Like they're dealing with the sexual explosion of the sixties. Like it's, it's a really kind of smart, smart movie. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating because it has a surreal quality that I think could only come from somebody who made like those industrial educational movies. Like when you watch those movies, there is some sort of note of not quite reality to them as you're seeing like you know you made fun of it earlier but like a little billy is walking down the street when he knows his, oh a stranger down the road How, what are you gonna do billy like there's a weird surrealness to any of those strips if you ever see them. you're doing you're doing that voice from now on on this show <laughs> that is your voice now hello welcome to the double edge double bill <laughs> what are you gonna do there adam are you going to accept the ice cream <laughs> <laughs> But but that is clearly present here. Even like uh, as much as you make fun of that voice, like the psychiatrist guy she goes to at a certain point, like she literally runs into and she talks to in his office, has that voice and just like, well, haven't you ever figured about being, you know, more social and going out with people <laughs> and stuff like that? Like there's a weird kind of lack of reality to parts of this movie that I could see why it could be potentially a good like riff tracks movie, but also makes it a very unsettling horror movie that doesn't fit into our natural reality. 
I feel this movie got like sort of sidelined, you know, because it came out right around the same time, like Night of the Living Dead and all that stuff. And it's just kind of considered the cult classic, which of course Night of the Living Dead is, but I think Night of the Living Dead is a lot more championed as sort of a, uh, you know, superior film. But to me, this feels like a very good companion piece to those early to late 60s black and white horror films. I, I, I don't think this movie gets enough credit as it deserves at all. The thing is, it's not cheesy. Like, I would never call this movie cheesy. Some of the performances might be a little, you know, eh, silly or whatever. Like, even the guy you were talking about, the psychiatrist, like, what do you think about that? Like, yeah, it's of course, it's silly. But at the same time, like, it's a genuinely unnerving film. Yeah, there's definitely an amateurishness. I think that's what's really here. Like, this is definitely not, like, a super professional production. It's a very independent movie. But I think in the same way that, like, with Night of the Living Dead, when you watch that movie, it's like, well, this is clearly from somebody who hasn't had a lot of experience making movies. But at the same time, like, that sort of um, independent spirit is what gets you invested to, like, make these weird things because, like, you don't have a lot of money. Like, this movie costs $33,000, in 1962 when they filmed it and like it's so cheap that literally they got like that pavilion set they were able to do it for like $50 a night is how much it costs for them to like rent out that pavilion basically to be able pretty to use dope it. right <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty good and to get to like the actual theme park setting of it when they go down to that pavilion i think like a lot of movies have tried to capture the idea of like oh an abandoned amusement park and going in and seeing what kind of monsters are there this is like the it feels like the origin point of the scary abandoned amusement park with all the imagery that's there. And especially of like the, the actual man and his other ghouls like dancing at the pavilion and how it's like just slightly sped up in a way that's unnerving and how like the main character kind of like goes in and out of being a part of the ghoul group as she's looking at them. Like that's all so unsettling. And I think really works, especially when you've seen earlier her walk around the abandoned amusement park and see stuff like the mattress that comes down the slide suddenly in midday and shit like that just like immediately puts her on edge like all that stuff beautifully captures like what I think a lot of other films kind of have tried to crib with the abandoned amusement park aesthetic this movie is so brilliantly shot too um just the even the sort of color play and light play that they use in this it's just it's so, like, I don't want to say ethereal, but, you know, I mean, for it's lack accurate. of a term, Ethereal, like, it's very accurate. Ethereal. Yeah, 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 it's super ethereal. Yeah, I, I said that. That was me. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's a very unnerving, weird little movie. It's set up in the way where you, you almost got, like, the Hitchcockian feel to it, especially with the, the look of the lead. Um, and then it also digs into, our, is this delusions like of her mind or is is she imagining what she wants like it's just it's there's so much to explore in this film like this thing it might be a low budget and at this weird early 60s but there he's really trying to say a lot in this movie it's not just this creepy little horror movie but he's in my opinion it's kind of like a sort of an answer to what's going on at the time in the 60s. Like I said, with the psychedelics, the sexual explosion, the war in Vietnam, everything. Like, this movie has a lot to say that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Well, I think it predates some of those things. This is 62, so this is even, like, a, a bit more... But it, was on the, but it was on the cusp. MK Ultra was already happening with the psychedelics and all that. Like, it's there. It's on the cusp of all of it. Like, an explosion is about to happen. I think this movie might be an answer to it. Right. I, I think that's true. And I think what also, like at least the interpretation I kind of came from, especially after this watch, is that it feels like it's a woman who is constantly being put down by authority, whether it be like, um, you know, the, the creepy dude from down the hall at the place that she lives or her tenant who completely uh, or her uh, landlord who completely dismisses any of her cries about like, oh, there's a man here or whatever, even the psychiatrist who quote-unquote tries to help her and is just like, oh, you just need to be more social or whatever. Like, it's it's all about this woman who doesn't want to be alone, 
but kind of has to be because everyone shuts her out or doesn't really trust what her actual opinion is. And when she is able to, like, you know, kind of, like, break down and reveal this, like, element of herself, be vulnerable, everyone just is like, oh, fuck off. Like, the guy down the hall just like, I should get stuck with you, you crazy, or whatever, then leaves. And even, like, the scenes where she's, like, walking around on the street and they have, like, the weird little, like, almost flashback wave effect that happens and nobody, like, pays attention to her. Nobody says anything to her. It's like she doesn't exist in this world. World, that stuff is like genuinely unnerving because it's shot in this guerrilla style where you're like up close and personal with her and you're in a similar state of just like oh somebody acknowledge this woman somebody help her somebody do something and nobody's doing anything at all and then the cinematography works for that because they literally shot a bunch of that stuff like guerrilla style where they did not have permits the only place they really had a permit for was the pavilion <laughs> like unless it was a four border set and they're if they're like out there on the street they had to quickly shoot them and get the fuck out and you feel that kind of like nervous tension along with like the filmmakers oh yeah absolutely and by the way too for an early 60s movie a very you know I mean, flawed, sure, but a very strong female lead. Like, you really kind of do sympathize with her. She's more of a fleshed-out character than you got a lot of times at this era. Right. Yeah, it feels like even, you know, comparison to A Night of the Living Dead, classic movie, I would say this main character is a bit more developed than, like, a Barbara. A bit more? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Barbara goes catatonic ten minutes in, and that's it. That's her character. Right. Um, as opposed to Mary, you get more of a sense of like, oh, she has a bit of a confidence early where she's like, I'm leaving this town. I'm never coming back. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm going to be a big church organist. And then her gradual like descent into madness is a real tragedy to see because she had so much confidence and so much of assuredness about herself was getting out of her life. And then, oh, no, turns out uh, everything's crawling up, like falling apart around you because no one will listen to your genuine cries. Well, when your career goal is to be a big church organist, you might have to take a step back and reevaluate. I don't know. I mean, look, uh, it, it helped Gene Moore, actual Kansas City church organist who composed this score you love so much, Adam. Oh, well, then fuck me, I guess. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Roasted. Anyway. <laughs> Mic drop. No. Um, but do you think a Herc Harvey, despite this movie kind of failing, like, do you think he could have made another interesting movie? Do you wish we got more out of him? Or do you feel like this is kind of like the one image we could really get of Harvey's, like the brief interruption of his like uh, educational film career path. You know, the thing is, by the way, great name, Herc Harvey. I mean, what an amazing name. Mm-hmm. But Herc Harvey reminds me almost like a, a Browning with Freaks, where, you know, obviously he did Dracula, which is a classic, sure. And then he comes out with Freaks, which is just this crazy, weird movie that like, what the fuck is this? Especially for the time period. And I, I kind of feel like Carnival Souls is almost the same thing to where, yeah, they're appreciated now, but I almost get why he didn't get anything else afterwards because they're so sort of ahead of their time or just off kilter or bizarre to where, granted, I would love to see more work from him. I, I think we could have got some more weird, crazy psychological movies, but at the same time, I'm I'm kind of glad this is the one we got. At least his his legacy didn't go long enough to get ruined. Right, yeah. Um, and even also shout out to him as the actual man, the ghoul, is one of the more underrated, like, terrifying uh-huh. horror uh-huh. movie monsters, I would say. Particularly, like, when uh-huh. him and the other ghouls, like, come out of the water. Oh, it's creepy. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Or even just, like, the big shots, like, as much as it could be, like, a cliche of just, like, oh, it's a bunch of, like, ghouls running around chasing her. Like, the shot where she gets on the bus... And they're, like, loaded in the bus and they get out. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. But, but yeah, I, I kind of agree that, like, even uh, Todd Browning, to be fair, had a larger career path uh, than he did. Because he'd also, sure. done, like, even before um, Dracula, he'd done stuff like the London After Midnight, the Lost film starring Lon Chaney. Which I would still, I, I hope at some point that's just found in some fucker's garage. But, but... <laughs> Can you can you say that's a huge career point because it's a lost film? Well, I mean, it was like popular at the time. Like he's made plenty of other movies that were just like lost to time. Like th- that's more like an issue of like preservation of film as opposed to if it was popular or not at the time. Because there are plenty of like other lost films that were big hits that just don't survive because of bad film preservation. Sure. Why no freaks did hurt him though? Right. No, that's the thing. It did hurt him definitely. He didn't make much after that point. Um, but he still at least got to make multiple feature films as opposed to True. her Carvey. Didn't quite get that. But yeah, I do kind of agree that it's it's interesting just to have this as like a one-off 
for this guy that, like I said, mostly made these like weird small educational strip movies. But that kind of like feeds into the legend where you're like, oh, this guy only did like dumb film strip stuff, but then he was able to do this one weird horror movie that shows like his talents with doing that kind of film strip stuff, but also has this like weird surreal edge that would influence so many other horror films after this point. Like long before I ever saw this movie, I heard the name Carnival of Souls mentioned several times on like very underrated or great like horror films of like this particular era. Oh no, it definitely has its status as a, well, I don't want to call it a cult classic uh, because I would consider like Night of the Dead, you know, Reanimator, all these ones like cult classics where they're so popular. Um, Carnival Souls, I think, is appreciated by a very small niche of people. I, I don't know that it's as celebrated as all of those, which is unfortunate because I think it should be, but it, it's just. It's just, a, like I said, a really underappreciated, underwatched film. Yeah, but you see so much of its influence, like even from not, not just even Night of the Living Dead, but all the way down to like, there's so much David Lynch in this movie. You can tell this was definitely a movie of Lynch's like childhood. Oh, dude, ton of David Lynch, ton of Stephen King. It's not as defined as maybe some of those people were or as, uh, you know, sort of fine-tuned, but it's, it's all over the place. Like you can absolutely see where... A lot of people really enjoy this movie who are who are big now and have used it as influence. Absolutely. Well, and plus, like you meant, we mentioned, Night of the Living Dead constantly. That's another movie where it went to the public domain very quickly, and the suicide yeah. would be like shown everywhere. Like basically, you could watch this movie completely legally on YouTube right now if you have not seen it. A thousand percent. Yeah. Any it, streaming any streaming service ex- that exists, almost, it's there. Yeah. And you'd definitely be able to watch it. But um, let's just go into final thoughts then on Carnival of Souls, and particularly uh, for the sort of creepy amusement park aesthetic, uh, how that works for you. I think it works 100%. Uh, it, I mean, it's it does it so well. Everything is so unnerving about this movie. This movie constantly, well, not constantly, not maybe right off the get, which, by the way, right off the get is great. I mean, there's a drag race happening. You have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Once the crash happens and sort of she washes up on the shore and all that, it kind of just gives you this sense of uneasiness. Like, what is even happening in this movie? Is she dead? Is, is like, what is this? And it doesn't let up for the, the entire screen time. It's a very creepy, weird little movie. And for that, I love it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's just this very fascinating artifact of the early 60s that, like you mentioned, has traces of elements that kind of work it from that specific time, that specific era, but also these other themes that, like, really carry forward, and you can get so much of it just because it's this weird, surreal movie that has influenced so many other movies, so you can kind of see, like, as interesting as an origin point, but also feels some, like something that could only be particularly made at that specific time, like 1962. And it has, like, all the charms and even some of, like, the, the foibles with it only help accentuate a lot of the weird, fascinating elements of it that make it a, a real, like, great gem. So great a gem, Adam. It's a part of the a Criterion Collection. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, sure. I wish I could have written the essay for that booklet. Yeah, I put on Seven Samurai and then watched Carnival of Souls. <laughs> the, the longest one and the shortest one. Oh, well, now, Adam, let's get to our weekly segment, The Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double, 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 double. Redo. That works. So uh, the Devil Review is a segment where uh, every week Adam and I, uh, you know, in celebration of the topic, uh, bring up a couple other films, uh, one that we recommend and one that we don't, that fit within this particular uh, atmosphere. And in this case, with amusement park films, uh, I and Adam have, you know, a good and a bad pick to talk about. So I'll start with first, uh, my good pick is one that I think has, you know, a lot of 
similarities to Carnival of Souls and was from a director who made one of the movies you mentioned a lot during that discussion, uh, George A. Romero. It, and it is a, sort of a weird tie-in in terms of it's less a feature film and more of like a small little uh, industrial film that he made for money in 1973, I believe, uh, called The Amusement Park, which um, it's, uh, was lost for a while. Uh, but then ended up getting found recently and put on Shutter. And uh, basically, it's the story of this old man who um, goes out into an amusement park uh, where he is constantly ignored. It's trying to be sort of like a little movie about elder care and elder abuse. Uh, but it's really unnerving, really unsettling. Has a lot of that George A. Romero charm to it because he took Lee Simon like, oh, make a uh, sort of industrial film about an respecting your elders and he turned it into a psychological horror movie about just like being an old man and being around young people who don't give a shit about you and it's really unsettling it is shot in an actual amusement park and he takes advantage of the space so beautifully and uh it's not obviously like top tier a romero but i'm glad it was discovered and uh, can be viewed by anybody because it's definitely a very interesting little piece of film history and then the bad one I have is another one that was shot at an amusement park, but in secret, which was the big hype around Escape from Tomorrow, which is uh, basically this movie that is about, like, a family who goes to Disney World or land. They shot at both locations, and they kind of mix it up together. But um, it's mainly focusing on the dad who hates the wife in the family and is annoyed by his kids and is trying to escape off to uh, have adventures in uh, some very unsettling situations. And the whole hype around this movie was the director, Randy Moore, um, had filmed this guerrilla style in both parks. And that was like the big hype at Sundance, where it's like, it's a movie that you know Disney wouldn't want us to show. Uh, it's like this movie that I can't, you can't believe exists. You can't believe it escaped from tomorrow. And I was so hyped, so fascinating to see it. And um, it's a really bad independent movie that kind of feels like it's a parody of what independent movies are for like people who don't like basically like small indie movies and i totally get it because this is like so bad it just has like some really terrible performances really bad like use of some of the gorilla style thing you can admire some of that where it's like oh wow they got this shot from like the side of the magic kingdom or whatever that's kind of fascinating but it all just amounts to a really underwhelming boring horror movie that has, like, attempts to do, like, weird psychological, like, I, you know, um, imagery and tries to really say something about, like, oh, man, is, you are all a sheep for going to Disney World and Disneyland, and it fucked up what these parks do to people. And it's like, there's something you could do about that, uh, but this is not it. This is just, like, a really bland, very repetitive, very stale thing that only has the interesting factor of, like, oh, we shot it at actual Disneyland. It's like, oh, great, you got anything else? No. No, they don't. It's really fucking terrible. See, I haven't gotten the chance yet. Well, I've probably had the chance, but I haven't watched the Romero Amusement Park one. I really want to. Um, I was super excited when I heard about it. Just one of those things where um, I have a very, I know it sounds crazy, but I have a very emotional sort of connection to George Romero to where I'm like, oh, I don't I don't know if I want to go back to it. I don't. I don't know. I'm going to eventually watch it. I, I just got to see it, but I, I'm glad that it came out and then kind of, you know, universally people love it. Not necessarily love it, but appreciate it. It has been critically panned. People are like, oh, no, it's good. So that's exciting to me. And I I'll definitely will go to it. But uh, as far as your bad one, that I fucking hate that movie so much. I went into it the same way where I'm like, oh, this is going to be something really creepy and weird and cool and the way they did it. Oh, my God, the movie nobody wants you to see. <laughs> and it's just terrible. It's terrible. It's not even like, obviously, it's a gorilla film, so you can't expect great cinematography, but it's it looks terrible. The acting's terrible. It, it's just a bullshit bullshit movie it's one of those movies that relies on the gimmick of what they did without having any meat on the bone it's a terrible film well and i love also the, like the, all that hype is around like oh my god is he gonna like shut down the sundance premiere or what's gonna happen is he gonna respond and disney wisely decided to like not pull a streisand effect and was just like what who we don't care yeah no, <laughs> yeah no go ahead watch it it sucks. Yeah, and rightly, they were like, oh, well, I guess yeah. it disappeared from existence and no one cared. <laughs> yeah, it 100% did. So, 
for my good pick, I have, you know, the one that I, I guess is expected. It's the most obvious, but it, for a reason, it's one of the best. I have the original Jurassic Park. Um, it's there's there's nothing about that movie that doesn't still hold up. It, it's to me the best blockbuster of the 90s. It, it is just a phenomenal film. Still to this day, it's exciting. It's thrilling. I, I showed it to my kid and I, I saw the wonderment in her eyes that I had the first time I saw it. You know, you're like, oh my God, dinosaurs are real. This is all real. They say, oh, well, dinosaurs were real, but dinosaurs are real in this movie. Like, it, it's super exciting. Jeff Goldblum rocks the shit. Sam Neill's amazing. Laura Dern's great. Uh, you know, it's just it, Mr. DNA. You know, it, it's just, it's a great, great movie. It, it is the epitome of a blockbuster film. And it works on every level. It's thrilling. It's funny. And it's sexy because of Jeff Goldblum. It, it, it's just, everything's there. It, it, it just, every level, that movie exceeds. For my bad, I have one that the main crux of the movie is an amusement park thing. And it's a horror franchise that, it's very hit and miss, but I have Final Destination 3. The thing about Final Destination 3 is their biggest gimmick was the DVD. It wasn't even the film and theaters where the DVD came out and they're like, oh, you could choose your own like adventure and who dies. And, and it's just such a huge bust. It's a terrible, terrible, non-exciting horror film where they really, really were trying to milk what the first two did. Uh, second one, I'd say better than the first, but it, it's just everybody's unlikable. That's the thing about these movies. You want to you want to care about some of the kids or really hate some of them, so you get excited or when something happens to them. And everybody find out a session three is like bland milk dose. Like you don't care. Uh well, I mean, there's not a lot else to say about Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's it's great. It's amazing. But even just like as a theme park nerd. Going back to it, like, I love the way that they implement certain, like, sort of, like, Disney Imagineering elements to it. Like, I love particularly the whole thing with um, John Hammond going up to the little ride that's, like, the, like, go-around carousel of progress. And he's talking to the other version of himself, and he's like, oh, I need I forgot my lines. Hold on, let me pull up. <laughs> like, stuff like that's really fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, like, the main appeal, and even with, like, as bad as, like, first Jurassic World was necessarily the biggest asset that movie had was like oh they did a really great job of making what would be a modern theme park version of Jurassic Park with like the um the fucking the corporate tie-ins oh yeah the corporate tie-ins particularly the yeah, Jimmy yeah. Buffett tie-in with literal oh, great, Jimmy Buffett great. and everything else yep. yeah uh, like there's there's fun elements like that uh but yeah Jurassic Park originated a lot of that and did it uh so well with that um but then uh with final destination 3 um i agree that it's not necessarily my favorite of the final destination movies um but i would say it's like a lot more fun than say like the the worst one of those is four like four is like a no four is the worst yeah four is dire awful movie versus like i agree that like the characters are a lot more sort of like archetypal in a way that isn't as fun as like in two in particular i think has one of the best groups of characters or five I think does a much more stellar job with uh, kind of like getting you in excited or kind of like peeved off about some of the asshole characters there. Uh, but if, if nothing else, three has a lot of fun stunts to it, which is always the appeal, like all oh, the kill sequences, like the sequence in the tanning bed, I think is fun. The actual opening, like sequence, of the roller coaster is pretty wild. Uh, there's a lot of like, I think fun elements that like keep that movie at least watchable to me, but I agree. It's not, I think it would like sit firmly like in the middle of those movies in terms of quality. All right. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead and do our uh, repeat our tiles here for anybody who might not have heard. I have um, my good was the amusement park, and my bad was Escape from Tomorrow. My good is Jurassic Park, and my bad is Final Destination 3. Yes, and submit your own uh, double redo choices to us at some of the socials and stuff that we'll detail as we get to the end of the show. And uh, we do our picking for next week. Stay tuned for that to find out what we're covering in the next episode. But in the meantime, uh, we want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music for our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Kristen Thor Lally for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water. 
uh, for all of his great stuff uh, on various different platforms, like on Twitter and his link tree, where you'll be able to find him. And then, of course, thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedvpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, vote for uh, topics we do or even uh, particular films we cover. And you'll be able to do that this week if you contribute that $1. And if you're an existing patron, uh, you'll be able to vote for Adam's two good picks uh, because he has uh, the good picks for upcoming uh, 2022 catch-up episode where, you know, in the middle of every year and at the end of every year, we talk about movies that have come out in the individual year uh, that we're recording in. And so uh, Adam has two choices for you to vote between. Adam, what are the two choices that you want people to vote on? Yeah, and you know what the thing is? Both of the picks are things I haven't watched yet, but I've heard nothing but good things, and I'm kind of like stoked on both. Um, I have the movie that went straight to Hulu, uh, Sebastian Stan, uh, Fresh, which I heard it's great. Um, sounds awesome. I, I know a lot of people have seen it, Thomas being one of them. Who said it's great? I, and you're and you're not really aware of like the premise of that one, right? I have zero idea okay. other than I think there's cannibalism involved, uh, and I could probably be 100 percent wrong, which is fine. And if I'm right, great too. Uh, and then the other one is the Michael Bay, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who I've recently become a fan of, uh, Ambulance. Yes, uh, I've seen both of your movies, and I would be I would be totally excited to talk about either of them. Uh, Fresh is a fun little movie that especially has a lot of twists and turns uh, that are pretty enjoyable, and one of the better Sebastian Stan performances recently. And Ambulance is fucking wild. It's Michael Bay being able to especially film with drones, which is fascinating. That's exciting. Right, yeah. A lot of fun there. Definitely one of the better bays in quite a bit. But, but yeah, so Fresh and Ambulance, you all get to vote for that. And uh, whichever one you patrons pick at patreon.com slash gedbpod will end up being the individual movie we cover, uh, one of the two. But uh, for more of our antics, uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at dedbpod. And uh, you can submit feedback either there or at our email address, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com, which is just a little shout-out. Um, we I've referenced this before earlier this year that I'm a producer on a show called Film Cred Review, which is on the Film Cred Patreon. Uh, people who contribute $1 over to them, our friends at FilmCred, I'll be able to listen to that. And uh, uh, the, we recently relaunched the podcast with a new host, which is Hyle Peralta, who's been a guest on our show. And uh, I was uh, the first guest for her reign on the show, uh, where we talked about the idea of uh, summer blockbusters and some uh, recent film news. So listen to that over there. You can find me on Instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore you know, O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or you can find me on Facebook under my name. Uh, you know, if you want to send me a friend request, say you know me from the show, I will accept it. I'm always down for a conversation. Or you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And if you want to hear more of us, uh, please, you know, uh, follow us on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms out there. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows out there on the network? Uh, and you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for several episodes we did even before we joined Talk Film Society. Several is an understatement, by <laughs> right. the way. In most of the episodes that we've done. Yeah. Several is a huge understatement. <laughs> and, Hundreds of thousands of hours. <laughs> yes. And uh, for, you know, if you want to help us out and you can't support us on the Patreon monetarily, that's totally cool. Money can be tight. But the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because it gets us more visibility. Yeah, dude. I mean, honestly, anything you do, like hit us up in the email, hit us up on you know, iTunes, Podbean, whatever, like, just give us a rating. We'll take it. You know, Rafe, fuck you. Well, now, Adam, we're near the end of the episode, and it's time that we did our picking for next week. Basically, if you're new out there, uh, Adam and I each, at the end of every episode, uh, pick a good and a bad feature. Uh, one of us has two good choices, one of us has two bad, and usually uh, each of us signs in between one and ten, and that gets us our good and our bad feature that we pick after the other person just randomly assigns them between 1 and 10. Uh, but there are certain things to mention here, like one, the Godfather rule, 
where uh, Adam and I each have a single veto we were given a few weeks ago to uh, use if we hear a choice after we like we pick a number between one and ten, we end up getting a certain choice, and we're like, you know what? I actually want to cover this. I will take the cannoli, and thus we use that veto up. We only have one chance of that every year, and uh, we have to use it by next May. And uh, you know, when we do that, we have to go with whatever alternate choices there. Though. There is one exemption for vetoes, and that's when our patrons, like we mentioned, patreon.com slash GEDBpod, vote for certain choices we do. In this case, for next time, we're doing Pixar in honor of Lightyear coming out. The one everybody's so stoked about. Yeah, as someone who grew up like Buzz and Woody were friends to a young Thomas, um, I could not give less of a shit about fucking light you yeah, no, that's crazy because they definitely did have a friend in you and now oh, it's just oh, <laughs> I, oh, I needed that yeah. so much <laughs> oh like i'm so upset that's also the their return to theaters after yes, so long i agree especially given how good turning red right that's exactly what i was gonna say god damn much it much better movie but or better. or even I, luca soul right well soul i get because that was gonna come out like pre-vaccine like i get that not coming out in theaters. But yeah, but Luca, Encanto. Or Turning Red would have been much more... No, no, Encanto was a Pixar. Semantics! It's like they're both from one separate, uh, one singular corporate overlord or anything. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so uh, we're doing Pixar again. We haven't done that since, you know, a couple... Yeah, almost like three years ago, I think. We did the Jesus. one about... Where we did Up... And we did uh, The Good Dinosaur. Uh, but we figured it was time to revisit because, you know, we're both fans of Pixar animation in general. There's a lot to talk about. Adam, you cannot use your veto for my bad choice because our patrons ended up voting in a poll for that. And so it's exempt from being vetoed. And they have the choice between Cars 2, which we both anticipated would be the winner. We both figured that yeah, would be the most likely one. A thousand one. percent. A thousand right. percent. Because it has the most infamous reputation and everything. But... Our patrons ended up going with my alternate choice for the bad one, which was Brave. But now, Adam, for your two good choices, Embarrassment of Riches here. Very curious where this will go. Um, I'm going to go with the number of Toy Stories 4. <laughs> At number 4, I have Toy Story 4. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. <laughs> 100%. Uh... I, I personally, that's probably my favorite of the franchise, believe it or not. I love Toy Story 4. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, I won't take the cannoli on that. I really enjoy that one quite a bit. So we'll talk about Toy Story 4 then. But what was your alternate choice, Adam? At number nine, I had good old-fashioned Ratatouille. Ah, Ratatouille. Of course, yes. Uh-huh. But, uh, one that I feel like, you know, uh, it's not as marketable. And it wasn't as big a hit. But I think it's a right. more love. I, I completely say. agree. Yeah, I completely agree. Wonderful little movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Toy Story 4 and Brave will be covered next time. Interestingly, Toy Story 4, a movie we could have covered for this particular episode, given all the carnival stuff. Oh yeah, we absolutely could have. Yeah. Um, but again, my favorite Pixar movie. I, I, I'm going to cry. Well, well, I'll be talking about it. Right, we'll, we'll talk about it for sure. Uh, but that's for next time, Adam. Until then, let's go off to that mysterious pavilion at the end there. There's a bunch of ghouls dancing. I'm sure we'll fit right in. I know I fucking will. I have a body of a troll. 